Hey guys, this is Justin and Jasad, and you're listening to No Country for Old Coffee. Follow us on Twitter and No Country Pod and Instagram at No Country JJ. For our full Colorado shows, we're available everywhere you get your podcast from. If you're interested in being on the show, DM us on Instagram or Twitter. Or you can email us at nocountryforoldcoffee at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode. All right. So welcome back to another episode of No Country for Old Coffee. I'm Jasad, and I'm here with a special guest, and you are? I'm Blake, Ron Blake. Okay. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ryan? Yes, I can. Um, well, this I, I, I've been on this journey for, gosh, now this is the sixth straight year. It all started, I I went through a trauma year. I guess I have to go through the bad stuff to tell you guys. It'll get a lot better as I, as I okay. tell you what happened. So, um, but I got to get through some of the bad stuff to get to the good. But um, years ago, I was in a trauma. I was in my home. Three men came into my home. I was held down, sexually assaulted, and they almost took my life. So I struggled really badly with PTSD because of that. And over time, it the PTSD, the nightmares, the flashbacks got really bad. And I woke up one night after another nightmare, and I just said, this is it. I'm going to take my life tonight because the pain was just too much. I... I wasn't sleeping. And when I did sleep, it would be nightmares. So I couldn't tell the difference between reality and my nightmares. And that's when it becomes really bad. So I got all my pills out. I sat there and I just said, this is the last, this is it. And for some reason, my television set didn't go off. I usually, I always press a timer and Jasad that night, it was like, when I woke up, the TV was on and the last thing I remember doing is I looked at the TV and something on the television made me laugh. And it was, it's a show called the late show with Stephen Colbert, a comedy show. And I remember pausing it and I thought whether it was God, a higher power of the universe, something stopped me that moment, why that happened and why my timer didn't go off. So that was how it all began this journey. I just said, I'm getting on this show. I'm going to tell my story to the world. I'm not going to hide anymore. Um, because I, I didn't want to talk about the trauma. I mean, I'm a guy, and it's hard enough to talk about it as a guy. I'm also a gay man. It's it it's hard for sometimes gay men to talk about this because there's still a stigma about being gay or lesbian or trans. So um, I had a couple of stigmas working against me, but I just said I don't care. I that moment happened for a reason. That laughter it saved my life. And so it began this now six-year journey to get on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Um, and hopefully I can share some of those incredible moments with you, like all the tens of thousands of strangers I've met. Um, see, now you're not a stranger to me anymore, Jasad. I get to see you. I get to, uh-huh. I've been talking a lot so far, but hopefully I get to hear you a little bit and, and, yeah. and learn even more about you. But that's, that's what started this incredible journey. All right. I, I, when I was reading your, um, the thank you said thing for us on this uh, spreadsheet and I was reading that and I didn't, you didn't put the part where you were, um, like people broke in your home and was sexually assaulted. I assumed that you had PTSD probably from the military. So like, cause that's generally where people would get it from, but hearing that part is kind of like really shocking to me. Uh, like, do you, like when did you, when you reported to the police officers did they judge you for being gay and knowing that it was three men yeah and that was a big problem too um the police i called 911 that night 
all the three perpetrators were there when it happened. And one of the perpetrators is actually, he used to be my domestic partner of almost 10 years. He was drunk, which is obviously no excuse when you do something like that to another human being, mm -hmm. but they were all drunk and they all participated. It was horrific. But when the police arrived, a lot of them, they did not take it seriously. They, I remember that night they joked about it. They laughed about it. I since got an apology from the Phoenix police. We, I met with a big organization. The police came in and I was really, honestly, I was really, I was happy that the police would meet with me. And, and they said, listen, that shouldn't have happened that night. Those, those officers should have arrested all the men. We're sorry. That was your experience. What can we do to change that? So it really gave me hope that the Phoenix police wanted to change, change that bias because there are a lot of people that obviously we know in society that people can have biases against um, Latinos or black people or Asian or gay people, people from marginalized communities. So um, to me, there was something positive that came out of it, that they said, we want to change this. What can we do to help? So I was really appreciative that the police said that. Um, mm. But that explains why there were no arrests made that night. Um, and I always felt like I did something wrong. Because if you have all these police officers that show up and they do nothing, and you have three perpetrators that do this violence against you, and they say, no, it did not happen, but I know it happened. So mm. I, by, by default, I took on ownership of that night. And I, that's where the PTSD came in, is that I started feeling... Like I should have done something more and it, it really, I shouldn't have. Um, but yes, it, it was from a rape and domestic violence. Um, and I always tell people around the country when I've gone to speak that you guys know, I, I grew up in the South Chicagoland area. It's like in the steel mill area of Gary and East Chicago, Hammond. It's very blue collar and mm. it's really hard for guys to speak up and say, Hey, this happened. We're supposed to be tough. We're supposed mm. to deal with it and move on and no more talk about it. So that I'm always proud of where I came from. I'm always going to be proud from like the South Chicago area, Gary, Indiana, that area. Um, but we need to change the toxic masculinity in our society so that, so that guys like us, if we go through traumas, we can speak about it and not feel like we're less than a man because of that. Yeah. And I think I truly think that's a big problem within our community It's like, when something like that happens to one of us, it's like, we don't talk about it. Because growing up, if you were saying something about this, I believe I talked about this on there though, I was also molested as a child um, by my babysitter. And like I told my mom and everything, but it's like, because I was young and plus I was a boy, it was like, you don't talk about it. And then like, once I talk about it in like a wide setting full of guys, it's like, you were right about it, girl, you should be happy about that. You should be proud of that. It's like no it's still molestation it's still rape and it's like because i'm a guy and because i was a girl it's no that's better than this one or that's more than this one it's like stupid to me you know yeah but, i'm really sorry you went through that um i appreciate that you shared that with me um because i know it's not easy to talk about things like that so i really appreciate that you shared that with me and i am sorry you went through that i truly am Hey guys, yeah, but uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, hi, uh, Justin hey, here, Justin. <laughs> the other half of No Country for Old Coffee. Uh, just wanted to uh, make a couple comments. Uh, I was initially just gonna record, but uh, I'm just gonna just gonna dip my toes in a little bit. Uh, so 
I think on like what Josiah said, I think it's incredibly just stupid to for people to say that oh you were it was a girl that did it oh you should be proud of it and I think that that happens a lot and a couple it was an instance a couple years ago I think with the rapper's son that the rapper was just like yeah my child got uh had sex with a prostitute or whatever and a lot of people were just like nothing's wrong with that nothing's wrong with that nothing's wrong with that but it's something seriously wrong with that and even if you don't, even if the child might not think that there's anything wrong with that at that moment, right? Because it's unfortunate, but a lot of kids don't know it's wrong at the at the moment because they're adolescents. So, you know, it's really messed up because at the moment you don't know what's wrong. You don't know the you don't know the the outcome of the situation, but later it might manifest as something that was worse than you know, then worse than when it started. Uh, and just to quickly ask you a, a question, Ron. So like with you being male, it makes it tough to talk about sexual assault and being gay. Were there any people that when you confided in, when you spoke to, were they just like, oh, it, oh, it, men did it. Why didn't, you didn't like it? I thought you would like it. Were there any people that looked at you and thought that maybe that you were overreacting or that something like that? When I, yeah, and, and Justin, yes, when I, when I did start talking about the trauma, it took a couple years for me to open up to a lot of people. But when I did start speaking about it, there were people that said, well, hey, Blake, why didn't you fight back? You know, you work out all the time, you run, you're in good shape. So they were putting the burden on me to say, oh, well, you should have done more to fight. Um, and I did, but I should never have to answer that. And then there were people that, it was incredible to me that there were people that said to me, well, you're gay and these were three guys that did this to you. Did you enjoy it? And I thought, you gotta be kidding me. Did you really ask me that question? Like, like you were saying earlier in the example you were sharing. And no, I mean, it's rape. And, and we should never have to sit here. And when people make comments like that, I try to move on. And, and if they pursue that questioning, I can say, listen, that's really something inappropriate ask a survivor it's not something so i have been asked that um you know and i guess that's one of the challenges people have that when you come forward with your abuse uh you will get things like that but i need to tell people that you're going to get a lot more people that are going to be a lot more positive and they're not going to make comments like that so i have to look and say for every person that's done that and made those kind of comments there are probably 20 or 30 that are very positive and supportive I have another question. So for, um, do your PTSD still affect you today? It does. I just told some of my friends and family on the phone today, I said, I struggle. Um, and there are some things that are happening behind the scenes that I, I'm always pursuing justice, even after 10 years. I can't go into too much detail about the pursuit of justice, but I always tell mm. people, all I can say is it's ongoing. And so sometimes there are issues that come up that, that bring me back to that night. And one of the exciting things that's happening right now is there's a, a filmmaker from Los Angeles. She, she and her team heard about my story and they're gonna do a feature length documentary about my recovery, but also the pursuit of justice, like everything brought together. 
And so there's a big team of people. It's going to take, I think, up to two years to do this film. It's going to be it's going to be a lot bigger than I thought. But the good part of that is it's going to open up a lot of dialogues for people everywhere to see, okay, this is what we go through. Um, but there are going to be a lot of good moments too. Um, but as they ask me questions, it brings up some old memories. And so that can affect PTSD. But there are times I need to address some of those issues. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are triggers I have. And I still, even over this last year, I had each one of the perpetrators, their friends were threatening me, harassing me, gaslighting me. The gaslighting always goes on. So it can get really hard for me. And, uh, and then I just have memories. Um, those will never go away because this, this guy, one of the three perpetrators, we both moved together from the Chicago area out here many years ago. And he was, you hear this expression a lot, but he was the love of my life. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to reconcile. If you've ever talked to people that have been through domestic violence, you love that person. You hate the mm -hmm. abuse. And there was, uh, I think it was a Rihanna song with Eminem. They talked about that and that song. It's a really powerful song. And I can connect to that song now because it's about that love and that hate and trying to reconcile it. You know, you, you, you obviously hate the abuse, but you love the person. So you spoke yeah, about right. just, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Justin. But you go ahead, Chris. All right. Uh, so Ryan, you spoke about justice. And I, when you, when you mentioned Justin, I would assume that you're talking about the legal justice. And she said, you can't really talk about that. I know uh, when I've spoken to people that I know that have been sexually assaulted, they have mentioned they have mentioned the the legal justice and they've also mentioned that they wanted to attack the person they wanted to you know murder the person or just seek out some sort of revenge were you ever on that side of the fence that you thought street justice is the way to go over legal justice yeah i mean and i won't lie about that i think and, and i guess there's no reason i would lie because i want to be honest with everybody about there are moments that you have these feelings that bubble up inside you now there's a big difference if I act out on those, but you know, I've talked to dads where their daughters were raped on this journey when I've gone around the country and I've talked to dads that said, if I ever find the guy that did this, I'll kill the person. And you know, the dad may, I mean, honestly, he may, I, if I had a daughter and somebody did to her what they did to me, I'd be really angry, whether that was my son or my daughter. So I've had moments where the anger, it takes hold of me. But I ask myself and I try to tell myself, hey, this is not what you want to do because it's going to destroy my life and it's not going to really help anything. And then my family is going to see me in jail and what good does that do? So now I just like what you, you know, you, Justin and Justin, giving me the chance to share with you and with your listeners. It, it's really a, you're helping me. You're helping me get through this. You may not know that. But you're giving me a forum to talk about this instead of maybe acting out with violent ways. And one of the symptoms of my PTSD was anger. I just, I would get very volatile. I would get very angry and I would isolate. So right now you guys are helping me stay calm. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking this out and sharing, but you guys are also allowing me not to isolate because I used to isolate from the world after that. I didn't want to talk to people. So, um, so you guys should be given some credit. You know, you're, I, 
I know it sounds, you may think I'm being crazy when I say this, but you're giving a lot of people a chance to speak on your show. Um, mm. And that get, that's, that's amazing. So anyway, you guys are doing a good thing. <laughs> thank, thank you. Um, when you, you said that you and your partner uh, moved to the area that you guys are in now, and after that, after you broke up with him and after everything happened, did you feel like you couldn't find love again? Or like, are you still not with anybody? Like, how is that? Well, you're right. I mean, I struggled. I, at that point, I thought, gosh, like, who do I trust? Like, this is the person mm -hmm. I trusted the most. All my secrets. I waited all this time to share all my secrets with one person. It was him. And we were together 10 years. Um, after you go through that, like that night, the details were so bad of what happened. And it's just you, like part of you, a little part of you is lost forever. You don't know if you can ever get it back. So over time, I just told myself, you'll find somebody, you'll find somebody. And I did. Um, I can't mention his name because he's very private, <laughs> but I found somebody. Um, I did get married um, four, was it four or five years ago? Uh, October 2016, so four years and a half ago. But it took me a long time, and I just I was scared to to allow myself to love somebody again, for fear that I would get hurt. But if that's if that's if I would have stopped that, then I would have never found love again. So you have to take that chance and get back out. Otherwise, those people they steal everything from you, and I didn't want that to happen. Mm, like that is amazing i'm so happy you found somebody yeah. um, like that just warms my little heart like romantic stuff is just like my weakness but like do you um well like i'm sorry to go back to the pcsd thing but is there's like some challenges you feel that triggered like not triggered you but like that you have with ptsd and being gay and all that together if you get you get the question yeah, like challenges between, you said between the PTSD and the fact that I'm gay? Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it comes down to just the side that, again, like the toxic masculinity we have in our society, like we're expected to be rough and tough and, and, and it, especially of guys when they're diagnosed with PTSD, whether it's the military, whether it's a, a like a car accident, any kind of big trauma, I, I think society just expects the guys to just be like tougher. And I've had people say to me over and over, like, you're a tougher guy than this. So, um, and then being gay, there were times with the stigma, um, you know, for so many years, I lived as a straight guy. And when I came out, I thought, well, there were people that were going to look at me differently. Like, oh, he's, he's not a man anymore. He's different. He's like a girl. He's a sissy. So I think with PTSD, it's sort of the same thing is that you're looked at as weak. You're not a man. And being gay, there are some people that look at you as like less than a man now. Not everybody, but there are people. So that's part of the stigma about PTSD and being gay. So um, hopefully that makes sense how I described it. I think mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes people feel like you're lesser than who you are, but I'm not different. Like if I had cancer, I'd, I'd be the same person, just somebody with cancer. And it was weird. I thought like once the minute I said to people years ago, like I'm gay, part of you feels like, well, a lot of you feels like I'm still the same person. Like, I don't know why that would change me. Like, why would cancer change me? Why would being gay change me? Like, we got to get past these parts in our society with labels, stigmas. Um, 
those are the issues that I still deal with to some level still to this day. I was about to go into asking about your coming out situation too. Um, but how old were you when you came out? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> I was I was a lot older. I was a lot older than um, like you guys are probably what? Uh, how old are you guys? I'm 18 and 19. Justin's 19. Yeah, I'm a lot older than, <laughs> but um, I, when I came out, I was 35 years old. I, I struggled really badly because part of it is because when I was in high school, that was during the mid eighties. Those are like my formative years. And that was when the AIDS crisis was hitting. So mm. if you came out of the closet in the eighties, a lot of people, they associated you with AIDS and a lot of people hated AIDS. They said these gays need to die. And so mm -hmm. it was horrible. So I, for me, I, well, maybe I'll share with you guys when we get off the air, but I wrote a piece for, I went to school at Indiana University and I wrote a, a letter to the editor that got published in the student newspaper last summer. And it got, it got quite a lot of attention around the country from people that graduated from there and then other people, cause I gave it to my other editors too. But I talked about a moment at a fraternity when I was probably 20 years old these guys in a fraternity threatened, really what they threatened to do was to kill me. They were gonna beat me senseless if I was gay and they cornered me in a big room. But I, I just told them I wasn't gay because I was struggling with my identity. And that moment, mm -hmm. that moment pushed me into the closet until my mid thirties because I was so scared that, that somebody would do that to me eventually. And, and then if you guys ever heard of that guy, Matthew Shepard, in 1998, he was a University of Wyoming student, and he um, was. These guys took him out of a bar. They took him in the middle of nowhere in Laramie, Wyoming. They tied him to a fence post and they beat him, and murdered him, and left him there. And it's because he was gay, and he was just a few years younger than me. So, you know, I had that experience at Indiana University. Then I saw Matthew Shepard in Wyoming get killed. So, it was about. Six years after that Matthew Shepard murder that I came out of the closet to the people in the Chicago area and the LGBT community there. But I, yeah, I was older, you know, but I'm really proud of myself because some people will never come out of the closet. Um, even if they're 18 years old, I know a bunch of 18 year olds right now that they're scared to come out because their parents will disown them. Um, mm. They're afraid that their church is going to tell them that they don't want to have them anymore. So these were all, I just tried to explain like some of the experiences I had that made me come out so late, but I don't look at my life and say, oh, I regret that I didn't have all those years to be me because what good does that do? You know, I'm me, like I'm right now, all I have is with you right now, Justin and Jasad. like you guys are my life right now. That may sound crazy, but my focus <laughs> is on the, my focus is on the two of you right now. Mm -hmm. and, and then that's where it should be. All right, so can I talk about gay culture back then? Because like I'm gay in 2021 and know nothing about gay culture back then. Do you think there's a change between how gay culture is now and how gay culture was in the 80s and coming up with A's and all that? Yeah, there's a huge, like if you ever get a chance, I don't know if you guys watch Netflix much. Um, there's a show on Netflix called Pose, P-O-S-E. Love Pose, yeah. You, you no. heard of it? <laughs> yeah. if, if you watch that show it gives you a it gives a good like a good indication of what the culture was like back in the late 80s early 90s um 
you know, I know there's a little bit of Hollywood in there. It always has to be, but that's a good mm-hmm. representation of what people went through back then. Um, especially people of color. Cause that show is really about, uh, Latinos and, and black people, what they experienced and the LGBT side of it. So, um, I, when I saw Pose, it really took me back um, just to see what the culture was like then. But today, like the fact that I can go on like a TV show and I can say I'm gay. Um, if I would have done that 30 or 40 years ago, there might have been people waiting for me to beat me up. And now they can still do that. But it's not as great a possibility as it was 30 or 40 years ago. But I still get threatened every once in a while. People will yell things at me and because they know I'm gay. When I was in Nebraska with my project, um, I spoke at a college about a year and a half ago. And when I was there, people put anti-gay flyers all over the city in Western Nebraska. So there was police protection for me and some other gay people that presented there, but nobody hurt me, you know? And, and, and I was just really happy to see that the police and the university they were proactive and said, well, we'd rather have police protection in case these guys act on this. So it can still happen, but I feel like today, a lot of society, they wanna see people who are gay and lesbian and trans, we should have the right to marry. And a lot of society over the last 20 years decided gay people should have the right for to be married. And so, yeah, a lot of things have changed, but you're always going to have people that don't like us because of who we are. Mm. But was that you were saying like the like how Pose presents itself as like and at the balls and all like did you attend those and were that were they was that you? That's what I mean. Oh, like um, in Pose. Yeah. No, because I was still way in the closet back in okay. like 1980s. <laughs> I I remember I would hear people talk about like in Chicago, the gay bars, I mean, the first gay bar I ever went to, um, one of them was in Chicago. It was, I, I don't even know if it's open. It's on Belmont Halstead. Um, it was called Spin, I think. And I don't even know if it's still there, but you know, Chicago has got a really vibrant gay community. Um, and, you know, so I, I did, I can speak to like 2003 and 2004, what it was like. Um, that area of Chicago was really vibrant, but there were still areas, I remember in Wrigleyville, when I was about 2002, I was driving through with all my straight buddies and I wasn't out of the closet mm-hmm. and there was a gay pride parade. It was in, it's always like the last weekend of June in Chicago. Yeah. And so when I was driving through Wrigleyville near where the Cubs play, these guys were screaming stuff at, at like drag queens and gay and lesbians and yelling things. And I remember, you know, like, that was like 2002, 2003. So it was still a struggle for me because I'm thinking these are my friends and they're yelling things at these people. But even in the, like my buddies back around Chicago, all over the area there, they, they're okay with me. They like me. They, they accept me. And when I came out of the closet, they said, listen, brother, we got your back. Um, if you ever need to talk. So they're all good to me, you know? And if they're not, if people aren't good to me, they don't say it to my face. So, um, so I just keep living my life because <laughs> uh, I can't I can't control how everybody thinks of me. Neither can you guys. I mean, there are going to be things that you guys do in your lives that people may not approve of. And I hope you guys keep doing everything you need to do in your lives, you know, because people will find stuff about all of us. They're not going to like. And that's their loss. 
Yeah, I, I say that all the time. Like, <laughs> if nobody likes me, I don't care. Like, that's me. That's you. Have fun. But yeah, like I like in my head, right? I'm not saying I wanted to be, but like watching Poe and watching them shows from like the 2000s and like that. Like, I thought the gay culture was amazing. Besides, like the the negative parts of it, it was like the AIDS and all that. But like. And it was something about the culture. It just amazing to me. I love to see how the representation of us was put out like that. Like sometimes, I I don't like the part where it, like it was you can get abused just by saying oh, I'm gay or wearing this shirt outside. And it's like, why can't I be myself? Why can't I do this? And you have something to say about it, you know? But I like how I like it now, and like the representation of all that um, that we get now is even better. Um, so I want to ask you about Stonewall. You, you know about Stonewall, right? Yes. Okay, so you, when you first heard about Stonewall, what was your reaction to it? Uh, well, I mean, good. Anytime that, I think at some point, everybody's going to fight back. You, you know, mm-hmm. when, you've had a, when you've had enough and people have been pushing you and pushing you and doing things to you, um, there's a point where you just say no more. And that's what happened that night. You know, I... I'm not the greatest historian, so maybe there was a little bit more that happened that night. I'm not aware of, but from the generalities of what I got, they had had enough, the people there, and just said, you're not going to keep doing this to us. And I I think that's Mm -hmm. just, that's how life is, you know? You keep pushing people around. You could be the nicest person in the world. You could be El Papa Francisco, Pope Francis. And uh, and there was even a moment, if you guys remember this, uh, it was like two years ago, some lady in the audience, like the Pope was walking around and she grabbed his hand and pulled it. And she just wanted to say hi to him. She was like, she was so excited. She's around the Pope, but she grabbed his hand and it was on TV and she jerked his arm. And this is like an 80 year old guy. So he, his first instinct, he smacked her hand. And I mean, this is the Pope and people are like, how could he do that? But he's a human being, you know, all he knows is somebody grabbed him and pulled him and he smacked her. And then later on, he said, I probably should have, you know, been a little more patient, but we're all human. And so I, I bring that example up because even the Pope, when you push and do something too much, you're still going to get a reaction from people. So with Stonewall, that was a big reaction. And it started it all, you know, 50, yeah. whatever it was, 51 years ago, it, it began the whole journey. Yeah, I... Because I, when you just said that, it makes sense to me too. Because I watched a documentary on Netflix about it. Um, I forgot the name of it, but uh, Marsha P. Johnson, which was one of the prominent figures during that time, she she like they said that she was like a super nice person. She would talk to whoever. If you had a question, she would answer it. If you want to take a picture, she'll take it. But then hearing that, that made her seem terrible because she started because she threw the first break or whatever into the window and like that's what started all so like you saying that makes so much sense because like she was nice at one point or she was always nice and then because of the cops can't come into stonewall bar messing with them and pulling them out and abusing them is like i'm gonna have to fight back at one point because you're doing this and we're not doing anything you know like we're just sitting there and you and you come in here messing with us. So I get what you're saying. But it, it actually looks like our time is actually up though. Oh. It is four at thirty-two. All right. But but it was really nice talking to you. Your yeah. story is so amazing. Like you are amazing. Well, yeah, if you guys ever need anything in any 
way. You know how to get a hold of me if I can help you guys in some way. Um, yeah, thanks for letting me talk to you guys. I appreciate this because I know some people are like, well, I'm not on a big show in front of a million people. It doesn't matter to me. Like if, mm -hmm. if you guys give me the chance to share with people, I'll share with people. So thank you for giving me that chance, you guys. And really quickly before we leave, are there any socials that the people can follow you on to hear more about your journey and see you on your way to the Stephen Colbert show? Yeah, if you want, it's called Blake Late Show. Um, and you can go on Instagram or blakelateshow.com. There's a website. And it's just, yeah, hopefully if people go on there, they're going to see all these thousands of people I've been meeting. There are a lot of takeaways for people that they can find something good out of that in their life that's going to help them. So, yeah, Blake Late Show on Instagram, Facebook, and blakelateshow.com for the website. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Blake, for coming out here. I would love to talk to you again, have you in another episode because you are amazing. Well, thanks, Justin and Jasad. I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to talk to some Chicago folks. It's always <laughs> fun. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys, it's pre-recorded Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Country for Old Coffee podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we have many more like this one. For our full catalog of shows, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. While you're there, make sure you leave us a good review because it really helps out in the podcast algorithm. I'm asking you because I'm a nice boy and I deserve this. You heard this episode. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I know it was. Also, make sure you follow us and subscribe to be notified when we post new content. Follow us on Twitter at NoCountryPod and follow us on Instagram at NoCountryJJ. We post our new episodes and exclusives you can only get when following us. Exclusives. Yeah, I said it. Exclusives. Share this podcast with your friends, neighbors, enemies, co-workers, and everyone you know. Until next time.